Hey, thanks for tuning in to Acts 23, a verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. This week, we'll hear a message from Pastor Andy Bowles. Life is is strange, isn't it? (laughs) You know, um, there's been times in my life to where it was almost like reality hits kind of out of nowhere and then 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 I'm then I'm posed this question how did you get here I don't know if you've ever experienced that before now there might be the times to where reality hits you square between the eyes and you ask that question how did I get here and that's not really a good thing Sometimes we can say, how did I get here? And the here ain't a good place to be. And and so we're asking that question, how did I get here? Meaning, man, I don't want to be here. Then there's times to where we ask that question, how did I get here? And, And we realize that God has done some kind of amazing thing in our lives to get us somewhere that we could not have found on our own, gotten to on our own, that God did some kind of amazing work to bring us to a place that we didn't even know existed But reality hits us, and then we say something to the effect of, wow, how did I get here, right? Uh, Just just for me personally, um, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, and you can ask anybody that has known me for 10 plus years, uh, for me to say 10, 15 years ago that I would have planted a church would have been crazy. As a matter of fact, 20 years ago, I stood up in a meeting that where a church plant was being offered to our, uh, our county, and I stood up against it. It's like, there's no need for another church. We got plenty of churches. Why have another church? And I had all these, these excuses why we shouldn't have another church, and stood up in a room of about 350 church leaders and said if there was more fire in the pulpit, we wouldn't need another church, and that's probably not exactly wrong, <laughs> you know? Probably some truth to that. But then fast forward, and by the way, that 20 years ago, standing up in front of those 350 people and saying that out of ignorance, there was a lot of zeal, but there was also an abundance of ignorance, uh, turned out to where Overflow was that church, and Overflow became the sending church for Embrace Church. It's kind of funny how things happen. And so now you see why sometimes I think life is strange, and then all of a sudden I ask this question or is posed to me, how did I get here? Or, or maybe, maybe it's, it's why am I here? And, and again, it can be for the positive or it could be on the negative side. Tonight as we look in Acts chapter 9, and you can begin turning there if you'd like to, Acts chapter 9, we're going to pick up where we left off last week, verse 32, and finish the chapter to verse 43. We're going to find, once again, the theme of the book of Acts is Christians are being led by the Holy Spirit to places that they wouldn't otherwise go, know to go. They're going to be faced with the reality sometimes in a good sense and sometimes in a bad sense and be posed that question, how did I get here or, or why am I here? And we saw earlier in the first part of chapter 9, 
Paul, who is known as Saul, he's on the road to Damascus, and in his mind, he thinks he knows why he's going there, but because life is strange, but because God is good, he's got him on a road, a path of God's own making for the purpose of Saul surrendering his life to Jesus and being born again. So we looked last week at at Paul's conversion, and now we see, we pick up the story again with, with Peter the Apostle. Peter, that guy who, who was kind of fringy on edge as a disciple, didn't have the textbook responses or answers, oftentimes stuck his foot in his mouth. When it came time to stand up for Jesus, he fell down. Instead of standing up, he was found asleep when he should have been awake. He was found denying what he should have been loving. This, this guy, Peter, who ultimately Jesus restored, and now he is that flaming apostle who is preaching the gospel along with others in Acts chapter 2. But there through the first parts of Acts, we see there there's sparks of flames in, in Peter, but then there's this kind of diving off and fading away. And, and so what I want you to understand, out of 28 chapters, and this is, this is a nerd stat, okay? Who's, who's the Bible nerds in here? I'm the only one. Okay, so this is for my own personal entertainment then. Let, let me say this. Wednesday night is our digging deeper crowd. Can I get an Amen. Okay, there we go. We're digging deeper. We're taking it verse by verse through the book of Acts. This is not an appetite everybody has, but you got it and you're here. So in Acts chapter 9, we're going to see this transition. The reason that I believe the Holy Spirit included this in this chapter, these, these two stories back to back. Luke is recording this for Theopolis. It's a letter to his friend. But the reason that this, I think, is blending is because this is where we really start significantly significantly seeing Peter fade away. Chapter 10 is going to be a lot about Peter, but then he's going to be fading away and Paul is going to be stepping up and taking lead. Peter was in the next chapter going to be a guy who goes after the Gentiles, but then finds out later he's a little fearful, a little timid. He misses that opportunity and he's going to pour into the Jews, but then Paul is that guy who is commissioned. We've already seen that in the previous verses, commissioned to go out to the Gentiles. Anybody who's not a Jew. And so we pick up here in verse 32. After Paul is saved, he surrenders to obedience and baptism. He surrenders to the call to preach the gospel. He goes to the synagogue and proves that Jesus is the very Christ. And then he is persecuted and they let him out of the outside wall of the city and down in a basket and he escapes. And then we pick up in verse 32. So let's read Acts chapter 9, verse 32. And it came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all quarters, he came down also to the saints which dwell at Lydia. And there was found a certain man named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. And Peter said unto Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise, make thy bed. And he arose immediately and all that dwelt at Lydda and Saron saw him and turned to the Lord. That's a very important verse. We'll come back to that verse in just a little bit. Verse 36. Now, there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This, go ahead and laugh. Y'all wanted to go. She was a dork. She was Dorcas. 
This woman was full of good works and alms deeds. She gave charitable benevolently to those who had need, which she did in verse 37. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died. Whom when they had washed, they took her body, they cleaned her body, and they laid her in an upper chamber. And for as much as Lydda was not a Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, that they sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay and come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. And when he was come, he, he uh, come, they brought him unto the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. Again, she was very charitable in her giving to those who had need. Verse 40, but Peter put them all forth, put him out of the room, and kneeled down and prayed, and turning him to the body, said, he looked toward the body and said, Tabitha, another way of saying her name, which was interpreted that way, arise. And she opened her eyes, and, then, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and lifted her up, and when he called the saints and the widows, and presented, them, presented her alive. And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed, hang on to that statement as well, many believed in the Lord, and it came to pass that he tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon a tanner. And we're going to pick that story up next week in chapter 10. To give you a little bit of an idea of what's happening here, again, we see Peter fades off to the side, and now all of a sudden he is back in the limelight. And Peter is traveling throughout all the quarters. That's what the scripture says. You may have a different translation that may use a different word. This is an actual italicized word in the King James Version of the Bible in which I use. And what it's saying is, in the original language, there was a lack of words to use. It was not translatable in, in, a, in a clear sense. And so the best thing that they could do, and we believe that they were moved by God to do so, not inspired, but definitely encouraged by God to put this term there. But what that term simply means is, is that Peter, is Paul's not the only missionary that will be, and neither is Barnabas and Silas and, and all of these other guys that we read about Timothy, who will be reading soon, but Peter was one of those frontline, tip of the spear, original missionaries. And he had already been traveling around since Acts chapter 8, verse 1, because he was one of the original guys who received the commandment of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that you will wait upon the wait, wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to fill you up, and you're going to go out in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. That is a, his command as well as our command. And so we see where Peter now is, he's going out and he's sharing the gospel and he goes to these different areas, almost like in a circuit. Some of you guys might have a, a study Bible. I mean, you guys have a study Bible, and in the back of the study Bible, there might be maps. How many of you guys ever had a study Bible? In the back, you saw all these maps and you were wondering, what in the world are there are maps in the Bible for? Anybody ever thought that? So there's, there's maps in the back of the Bible. Those are study Bibles. Some have them, some doesn't. The Bible that I've got up here tonight is a preaching Bible, and it doesn't have that in there. But a lot of times in those map sections of the Bibles, study Bibles, you'll see where there was these missionary journeys or trips taken, in particular by Paul the Apostle. 
And you'll see there's usually arrows that point from one location to the next location to the next location. Because when we're reading stuff like the book of Acts, and then later we get out of Acts and we go into Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians and Galatia, the area, like a state, there's several people that are in that, several churches that are planted out from the area of Galatia, Colossae, Philippi. And we go through these different letters. Sometimes we forget that those were areas in which they took these missionary journeys and preached the gospel. And those maps are in there for those of us who are a little bit more geographically challenged. So to remind some of you guys and to inform some of you other guys, years ago we had this missionary named Noel from the Philippines. And Noel was getting up and he was sharing the gospel and sharing the ministry and doing a great job in his broken English. And it came time for questions to be answered. And Noel is standing up there, very confident, very poised, and a hand raises up, and he recognizes the young lady who has a question. And he, remember, now, where, where's Noel originally from? The Philippines, that's exactly right. And so whenever this recognition of the hand, the person in the chair raises her hand, and she's recognized, and he says, yes, ma'am, what's your question? And she says, how long did it take you to drive from the Philippines? Okay, now, I did that for only one reason. If you didn't laugh, you're geographically challenged and you need the maps and the Bible. Because you can't drive from the Philippines. There's a lot of water between the two. Hey, man, this is good stuff. And so, so there's, there's a few things that we just kind of take note of in, in verse 32. And if, you, if you're reading this chapter and you want to divide it for note's sake, I really think verse 32 is kind of a transition of thought coming out of Paul and his experience of being persecuted and fleeing from that. And then there is that thought of now we're looking at Peter and Peter is going from one area to the next because this is an underlying fact. This is a truth. Everybody look Look up here at me real quick. If you are a Christian, you are a gospel carrier, and everywhere you go, you should be ready to share the gospel. Amen. You're supposed to. Um, we, I was talking, I had an opportunity yesterday at a conference in, in Ridgeland to, to share uh, five points of contact, a means of missional engagement in the community uh, with a group of church planters and, and uh, was talking to a guy who was kind of co-leading that with me. And we got to talking about how sometimes, you know, preachers need to, need to let their congregation know that you have the okay, no matter what culture says, you have the permission of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to share the truth of the gospel. You have permission. You have permission. But also on the back side of that, I have seen way too many church leaders. I have, I've heard way too many preachers get on stage and tell his church, you share the gospel, and this dude's not sharing the gospel. And so we got into the conversation on how Sometimes it's encouraging for a preacher to share a story that he normally would not share for the sake of encouragement and not for the sake of the pat on the back. Just the other day, Monday, 
this is one of those stories. Laurie and I was in Hattiesburg. We had some business to take care of in Hattiesburg. We pull up to the gas station because, you know, I was wanting, I was wanting something to drink and a snack because it was about that time. And uh, that's usually around 2 or 3 o'clock, if you know me. And so uh, we pulled up into a gas station. So I'm going to go get a, a Code Red, Mountain Dew Code Red. And I wanted a chocolate bar, but I settled for a, um, a Slim Jim anyway. And so I'm at the gas pump, and I'm pumping gas, and I'm thinking about that Code Red. And they didn't even have a Code Red. And it was disappointing. But uh, anyway, I settled for a regular Mountain Dew. And so, so I'm, y'all don't care about all this. I'm pumping the gas, and, and a guy's beside on the other side of the gas tank, and, and one old boy looks like he could have just come right out of the hillbillies. You know, Jed Clampett's third cousin. That's who this is. He's wearing overalls, and I'm seeing his drawers. You know what I'm saying? And so his partner on the other side, you know, they were young. They were in their 20s, and they, and they had some music playing. And, and I usually, you know, years ago, it would irritate me a little bit more than what this did. And, and, but, the, but the music was not edifying to anybody who heard it. And so um, you, you can ask people that, that know me from years ago if it would have been my little children with me or if Laurie would have heard it, I probably would have kicked the radio out of the dash and told them to stop. But uh, the Lord has brought couth to me over the years. And so um, instead of that, I just, I, I said, Lord, if, if, if you want me to share the gospel with him, have y'all ever done that before? God, if you just, I'm, I'm laying out the fleece. If you want me to share the gospel with them, then they need to be there by the time I get my receipt. So I pump the gas and I'm listening. I'm listening. I mean, lostness is all over the place, you know. And I'm done. And I click. And I look. They're still there. Do you want a receipt? Yes. I look. And they're still there. Receipt comes out. Okay, God. I got the green light. Not that I needed the green light, right? I've already got the green light. But I go over there and I share the gospel with them. And I say something like this. Hey, guys, I heard the music that you guys were playing. And I'm not getting on to you or anything like that. Because I'm not somebody to get on to you. But I just want you to know that there's a better life out there. And I just begin to share the gospel with them. And I'd love to tell you that both of them fell on their knees, buttoned the sides of their overalls so I didn't see their underwear anymore. They turned off their radio and they repented and now they're preaching the gospel. I would love to tell you that happened. It didn't. But nevertheless, I shared the good news of the gospel, being obedient. They heard the gospel. And this is what one young man said. He said, where do you go to church at? I thought to myself, man, if I was, if this is in Forest, you know what I'm saying? So I just had to tell him, well, I live in Forest, Mississippi, not the county, the city, and you're probably not going to come to my church, but I suggested a church to him. I, I think it's good for us to know that the gospel goes with us wherever we go, and we should be able to, with the green light at every opportunity, we're provoked by the Holy Spirit, share the good news of the gospel. He goes on from that. He's going to these quarters, and then he gets into this. He, where, where is he going? He's going to check on the saints. He's going where they've been before, where there's pockets of Christians. And as he goes to these two different pockets of Christianity, he noticed that there are some Christians who have a need 
One Christian is, is a guy by the name of Aeneas. Aeneas is, he has palsy, he's, he's lame, he cannot walk, and he's been on his bed for eight years. And, and so what does Peter do? Peter sees this guy among the saints. He's going to visit the saints. This is a Christian guy. I just want to let you know this real quick. Sometimes the Lord will allow you to endure hardships, and no doubt there are lessons that you can learn and ways in which you can grow through your own personal hardships, but sometimes you are bearing hardships not as much for you as for somebody else. Okay? And so here's Aeneas, and, and he's lame, and Peter comes, and, 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 and it's some, just some things that I'm picking up from this passage of Scripture. He tells Aeneas, make your bed. And get up. this is real different. Now, who was, let me ask you this, guy, this question. Who was Peter's teacher? Who taught Peter how to do ministry? It's a Sunday school answer, y'all. Jesus told Peter how to do ministry. Jesus in both Luke chapter, excuse me, John chapter uh, five and Mark chapter two is, is this story here. Both times, Jesus rises a lame man up who has a bed. He says, take up your bed and walk. But here, Peter, totally different situation, but <laughs> sees this guy who's of a palsy and he says, make your bed. Make your bed instead of take your bed. I thought that was interesting instead of take up thy bed. But, but then we see that he, he goes from this individual who has this palsy of eight years. Now he's healed and he goes out. He sees this other person. They send for him to this beloved disciple named Tabitha or Dorcas. The best way I can explain that is to say that my name is not Andy. How many of you guys knew my name's not Andy? But how many of y'all have called me Andy? Yeah. And so my, my, name is, my name is actually, and I'm, 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 sh I'm being vulnerable here, y'all. Okay? I'm being vulnerable. I'm expecting you to safeguard this truth with love, kindness, and care. My name is Carlos. Yeah, y'all already destroyed my confidence. Carlos Andrew Bowles. So my name is Andrew, but I go by another way it's interpreted, right? I go by, I don't go by Carlos, I go by Andy. Listen, if, if, you, if you call me Carlos, I expect one of two things. Either you from the government or I owe you money, okay? This <laughs> is the way it is. So here, here Tabitha, or another interpretation, is, is Dorcas, She's sick. She dies. For two days, they send for Peter, and they bring him back, and she's dead, and they're all weeping. They've cleaned her body. They've put her in an upper room. They're preparing and waiting on her for burial. Why did they wait so long? They had a longer wake period. This is Jewish superstition. Superstition. They believe that the spirit lingered around the body for at least four days. And so a lot of times a Jew would lay a body over to the side or at least watch the body, even if it was prepared and entombed, to see if the body would come alive, if the spirit would come back in it. Now we know that was superstition. That was not a reality. 
okay? But they had her body in an upper chamber for two days. Peter comes, and everybody's mourning and weeping, and, and nobody believes that she's going to live again, but Peter knows something different. Everybody's holding the garments that she made for them. She was a generous, benevolent, loving, kind person. And Peter says, y'all get out. Peter learned that from Jesus in Luke chapter 8, verse 54, when Jesus put people out of the room of Jairus' daughter and raised her to life, kind of like what Peter's about to do. Some things that I just kind of take away from this passage. Both miraculous healings, both come from the community of Christians. Because sometimes your hurt means somebody else's healing. Now listen, you got to get that if you're going to get anything else in this message, okay? Sometimes your hurt is for somebody else's healing. This is not a, a group of lost people or just community in large. Peter is not just going by the way and listening, looking for a, a, an opportunity of a miracle so that he can preach the message. Instead, he is going around and he's visiting Christian communities here and there throughout the quarters. He's finding out who the Christians are. He's having fellowship with them. But even in the midst of those he sees that not every Christian is healthy and not every Christian is wealthy. Sometimes there's Christians who are sick and sometimes there are Christians who are poor. But sometimes, as a matter of fact, probably more than some, our hurt is meant for somebody else's healing. And so, so Peter sees Aeneas and he raises him up and sees Dorcas and she's brought back to life. Why is that for? What's, what's the purpose? How, how did they get there? How did, listen guys, the trials that you sometimes go through if you're not careful, if you take that outside of a gospel definition, if you take that outside of the purpose of the good news of Jesus, you might miss the greater purpose of your suffering. Don't waste your suffering. You see, this is, this is what happens here. These people get a miracle. And the miracle obviously affected them. Aeneas is able to make his bed and get up and walk. Dorcas dies and she is raised back to life. She now has another opportunity to, with compassion, minister benevolently to people around her. They are recipients of this miracle. But this is the question. It's for us. Let me ask how many of you guys have ever experienced a personal miracle from the Lord? Raise your hand. Yeah, all of us have. Remember how we define miracles. It doesn't have to be this big, crazy thing like you're lame and raised to walk or you're dead and you're raised to life physically. Maybe it can be some more metaphorically. Maybe it can be some of the smaller micro things like God allowed me to raise up and, and, and get out of bed this morning. That's a miraculous thing. I lived 2020 and never got COVID. That's a miraculous thing, right? The, the greater question, though, is this. How has the miracle that God gave you leading other people to him? 
You need to hear this, okay? Because the only way your hurting can heal somebody else is if you're a miracle leads somebody else to Jesus. All right? So, so that's what we see here. Well, we see that this miracle that is in their life, there's a lot that's happening there with Peter, and Peter is used in a miraculous way. People recognize him as a preacher, a healer, and they're going after him when their loved ones die or sick or in need. How can the miracle in your life lead others to Jesus? Peter is not the main figure in this passage. As a matter of fact, verses 32 to 43 never mentions by name the person of focus in this passage. It's not Aeneas, it's not, it's not Peter, it's not Tabitha or Dorcas. Somebody greater. So how can the miracle in your life lead others to Jesus, then the first thing that we have to see in this passage is that others need to see the change that's in your life. How many times have you heard that? How many times have you recognized it's not just what I say, but it's how I live that makes the difference? You want me to tell you what the greatest marriage is in the Christian life? It's when the mouth and the actions all of a sudden coincide, right? Not only am I saying it, but I'm living it. And not only am I living it, but I'm saying it. There is a holy matrimony with inside of, remember we talk about what is holiness? Holiness is when my heart and my hand all of a sudden agree on doing something for God. That's what holiness is. So how are others going to be healed by my heart, hurt, be led to Jesus by the miracle that I receive? They need to see this, this change. Verse 35, uh, you see, Lida and, and, and Saran saw him in verse 35 and turned to the Lord. They that dwelt in these two areas, when they saw Aeneas, who was lame for eight years, when they saw him make his bed and then go walking, they said, something happened to that guy. There, 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 are a lot, there is a lot of responses that can come at the sake of a miracle. Remember Jesus turned the, uh, or fed the multitudes with the fish and the loaves? Remember when Jesus did that? Jesus did that, and then what was the crowd's response? They said, let's make him king, and they tried to forcibly make him to be the king of the Jews, and he refused because he knew that the only thing that they wanted was full bellies, not full hearts, right? But what happens at the sake of this miracle? You see, they, they saw him. They saw his change. You see, experience and a change comes from two perspectives. There's an outside perspective, and then there's an inside perspective. The outside perspective is you to me. I see what has happened inside of you and what has happened inside of you and how that's taking place on the outside of you is now affecting me. And if I am going to be one who receives this, then all of a sudden it's going to be internalized. It'll be... Me inside of me, I, I see, I hear. God's done a work in you. And I'm brought to the awareness 
that if God has done a work in you, then God can do a work in me. And how did God do the work in you? It wasn't you. It wasn't because you were good. It was just because you were available. And I see that all I've got to do before the Lord is be available. And what happened to you in my experience of seeing God work in you can also work in me. And since you have affected me on how you surrender to him, then maybe my surrender to him can affect somebody else out there. So the question is, is what are you showing and what are they seeing? See how my miracle can turn somebody to the Lord is when they see the change. But then also, you got to sacrifice something. I'm here to tell you, Jesus is an awful lot about sacrificing. He's all about sacrificing. As a matter of fact, God established in the Old Testament a system of religious activity that freed the people annually of the burden of their sin, of the oppression of it through blood sacrifices and grain sacrifices and uh, free will sacrifices and, and all of these kind of sacrifices. And, and then what happens is Jesus comes and he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law and prophecy and he is the fulfillment of every sacrifice. But he is a sacrificer. He says, greater love had no man than this than a man laid down his life for his friend. He speaks of sacrifice. He lives sacrifice. And the fact of the matter is we're supposed to be living sacrifices. How is my hurt going to be somebody else's healing? How can the miracle that God does in my life Lead others to Jesus. Listen, Aeneas had to be lame for eight years. <laughs> that blew your minds, didn't it? Dorcas had to die. What? You do understand. Now, now we, we, we just mentioned verse 35. Look at verse 33 and, 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 and 37, we see where these guys were, were sick and one was raised from the bed and one was, one was dead and was resurrected into life. But, but then in verse 42, it was known throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord, just like in verse 35, and they turned to the Lord. Both of these miraculous things resulted in the greater miracle, in my opinion. The greater miracle. Why do you say the greater miracle? Because Peter says to Aeneas, make your bed. He didn't say take your bed. I steal, man. Why? Now, I'm going to tell you my simple, uh, uneducated guess of why this was said the way it was. Because in the mornings, when I wake up in the morning, Sometimes my wife and I have the conversation on whether or not the bed should be made. I'm under the impression I'm going to get back in it. She's under the impression somebody might see it. I'm under the impression that there's no need to waste the time. She's under the impression that the bed made is not for us, but it's for somebody else. Right? They got to see it and see the pillows and see how pretty the bed sheet is. I just need to feel how comfortable it is. So there's a big difference in taking and making. I'm going to go back to it. 
sometimes in life, even though I want to escape the hurt and never have to have the need of a miracle, I might have to go back to that place in life. And if I'm not careful when I go back to that place in life, if I forget that my hurt can bring somebody else's healing, then I may be more focused on my hurt than somebody else's healing. Come on now. Yeah, y'all got sandwiches on your mind or something. Ham sandwiches is already cold. Y'all good. <laughs> the bed is made because he's going to go back to a bed. He may not go back to a mat for eight years as a lame man. He may go lay down on a bed for the rest of his life. <laughs> Dorcas, what's, what's going to happen with her? She, she died. She's, a, she's an axe version of Lazarus, right? But guess what's going to happen? She's going to die again. But there's two groups of people, and it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed these two other cities, Lydda and um, Saran, there are people in those areas who heard and experienced and saw and recognized, and they're spiritually no, no longer lame. They're spiritually no longer dead. And even though they physically might get hurt and they physically might be lame and they physically might die, when they die, they're going to eternally be with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Because faith has brought them where physical things cannot. And so you got to see Aeneas and, and, and Dorcas, they, they made a sacrifice to see to it that others, others came to Jesus. Let me ask you this quick question, and we are getting ready to wrap this thing up. When is the last time you made a true sacrifice out of a sincere heart? And did your true sacrifice from your sincere heart make an honest effort to see somebody lost come to Jesus? Because this is the last thought. <laughs> Who's this all about anyway? <laughs> I'm gonna tell you, this is, this is the way it goes. This is the way it goes with me. And I'm pretty sure this is the way it goes with you. Anytime I get sick, anytime I get down, it's all about me. Amen, Laurie? I am the biggest baby, the worst patient. When, when I'm hurt, I'm inwardly focused. Because I don't want to hurt. When I'm sick, it's about Andy. What it can't be about is Andy. Because Andy can't change anybody. Andy can't save anybody. Peter's just a vessel. And Peter can't do it. So who is this really all about? It's about Jesus. What, well, if that's the case, then what is your hurting all about? It's all about Jesus. What is your healing all about? It's all about Jesus. What is your miracle all about? It's all about Jesus. It affects you. Thank God it does. But it's all about Jesus because it's all got to be about Jesus because it's all coming to Jesus. I love Psalm 21, verse 5. Notice what this verse says. His glory is great in his salvation, thy salvation. Honor and majesty hast thou laid upon him. It's, it's, it's all about him. can't be about us. When it becomes about us, then then I can guarantee you this, Mi miracles will cease and healing will be slower. It's got to be about him.
If you would stand to your feet, every head bowed and every eye closed, just for a second. I ask you a question. Have, have you allowed things in your life to become some, somewhat inwardly turned? Are you focusing more about you than you are him? Has your focus on you and not him hurt them? Who in your life is watching your life and needs you with your hurting provide for them healing? Man, I need you to, I need you to focus. I need you to think. I need your heart to be open. I need this to be real. More than a 40-minute message on a Wednesday night but a firebrand that is burning inside of our heart, a message from the King of Kings that will alter you forever. And Father, that's what we pray. God, forgive me when it's all about me. Forgive me when I bellyache and whine and cry as though you don't exist or you can't do what I know you can do. Father, help me be more aware now and for the rest of my life, whether it be 10 minutes or 100 years. God, let me be more aware of people's eternity around me so that I can see them come to know you. Father, if there's anything that I ever want to accomplish in my life, Lord, it is to see lost people far from you come to know you and personally receive you and be eternally changed. God, let that be a fire in my heart that never burns out. Let that be a fire in the heart of embrace that never burns out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.